It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 246, The Second Punic War. The Second Punic War was the most memorable of all wars that were ever waged. The war which the Carthaginians under the conduct of Hannibal maintained with the Roman people. For never did any states and nations more efficiently in their resources engage in contest, nor had they themselves at any other point so great a degree of power and energy. They brought into action to no arts of war unknown to each other, but those of which had been tried in the First Punic War. And so various was the fortune of the conflict, and so doubtful the victory, that they who conquered were more exposed to danger. The hatred with which they fought was also greater than even their resources. Livy, Roman Historian The Second Punic War was raged from 218 B.C. to 201 B.C., was one of the deadliest wars in human history, fought over 17 years. One account has the dead in this conflict as high as 500,000 Romans, 400 towns destroyed, and 270,000 Carthaginians and their allies dead. The Second Punic War. Just as the First Punic War ends, Hamilcar Barca is leaving Sicily and he forces his son to swear his vengeance on Rome. His son's name is Hannibal. Hannibal comes to be Carthage's military general, and he seems to have personally taken his liberty um, in the state of Iberia, which is actually the, uh, the modern state of Spain, and he expands his influence there, and he takes his liberty to exploit the silver mines in this area. He's expanded his influence and he uses this silver to build up a huge army. He knows Carthage is ruled by an oligarchy and they won't support another war with Rome, but they would never be against a favorable one conducted against Rome away from their shores, where they would be safe. The Cold War between the countries continues for some time until Hannibal breaks the truce by sacking the Roman-friendly Iberian city of Saguntum. Rome eventually declares war on Carthage because of this attack. And Hannibal seems to have planned and planned, and he was ready when he attacks Saguntum for the next stage. And this is where Hannibal does something crazy bold. He marches his army on Rome from Spain, through the French Alps. It's an unreal achievement, and he even brings war elephants with him. And many die on the way, but the audacity floors the Romans. Once Hannibal arrives in northern Italy, he obtains new allies that join him. He defeats the Romans at Trebia in 218 BC. Then he sets a trap for the Romans at the Battle of Lake Trasimene and destroys many legions. And at this stage, Rome is furious, and they mobilize the largest army they've ever fielded. There's many different numbers on how they say how many Romans were fielded against Hannibal, but I've seen it as high as 130,000 Romans march on Hannibal. 
Hannibal carefully chooses his field of battle at Cannae in eastern Italy. And Rome has two consuls, one by the name of Paulus and another one, Varro. Each of them gets the command of eight legions and takes turn under their authority each day. I think they have four or five legions each, and it's eight total. And they take turns on who's in charge every other day. See, this is still the Romans who are terrified of a king. So they always have two consuls, you know, or presidents, you want to call them that, um, for a year, and they take turns on who's in charge of this massive army. And it's really interesting. So they have a split command while Hannibal retains full control. There's, there's a ton of different numbers out there. I'm going to go with the middle, and let's go with the middle ground where the Romans have nearly 110,000 soldiers. Hannibal has 70,000. Varro is in command when they arrive at Cannae. And of course, the story goes is that Varro's aggressive while Paulus is conservative, but Varro has control on the day they show up at Cannae, and Varro wants the glory, so he attacks. He orders his forces in a giant block formation with cavalry on the wings. Hannibal forms his forces in a half circle bulging out towards the Romans. The Gallic armies and other allies start to give way as the Romans advance. So Hannibal puts his weaker forces in the front of this kind of semicircle arch towards the block of Romans coming towards him. And his weaker allies give way. You got to know he kind of planned this. And now the cavalry are engaging each other on both sides. Now the cavalry engage and the Numidian cavalry from northern Africa. They rout the, Nor- the Roman cavalry. The Romans never really have good horsemen. The half-circle of the Carthaginians concaves as the center falls back. But at the same time, Hannibal takes his rear army and marches his troops around both sides of the Roman blunt box. And he puts his stout, reliable Carthaginians in the very back of his line to hold it, just as the cavalry returns and completes the encirclement of the Romans. Outnumbered Carthaginians had numerical superiority on the outside of the Roman box, and the surrounded Roman box becomes a killing zone. Most of the soldiers were stuck in the middle of this giant formation of theirs, unable even to wield their weapons, awaiting their comrades to fall, and slowly the entire Roman boxed-up legions were annihilated. The final results of Cannae were upward to 100,000 Romans dead, and as little as 10,000 prisoners. Carthage loses less than 7,000 soldiers. And one of the finest examples of strategy in world history, it's come to be known as the devil envelopment to military historians. Few have ever replicated it, and the sheer unconditional victory achieved by it. The closest in World War II was Stalingrad. Funny enough, the German commander who lost was Paulus the same name as the Roman consul at Cannae. Lesson to future leaders, never allow yourself to be flanked, much less let Apollos have control over your armies in a major battle. Hannibal marches on Rome, and this is where I can't understand him. He refuses to besiege the city, or he just fails miserably at it. And maybe he's just hoping for them to sue for peace, and I've already blamed the lack of siege equipment, but this seems strange. And I think he contented himself with taking Rome's allies from them and starving them out. But this is where he failed to understand the Romans and the people of a free government. They will literally never give up. Giving up means giving up your freedom. 
This even has more bearing on their national identity and character as we see them facing annihilation and they still don't give up. The Roman allies fall one by one, but not all of them. 40% of them defect from Rome. Hannibal would only achieve partial success if Rome builds another army. That's what they do. Another army goes after Hannibal, but with a, a new strategy that's very un-Roman. The Romans adopt a new strategy. It's called a Fabian strategy after one of their consuls, and he refuses to engage Hannibal in battle, but instead he besieges him and builds siege works, and that's what the Romans had over the, the Carthaginians. They could not win a field battle, and the Numidian cavalry would would just storm through them or surround them. And Hannibal was a greater strategist. But he, he failed at, at siege works. He failed at, at sieges. He, he wasn't very good at that. And they continually harassed Hannibal, taking walled city after walled city from him. And it turns into a slugfest, and southern Italy is decimated, with city after city plundered and destroyed. 400 towns are destroyed. Though the Romans were not willing to attack Hannibal himself, Rome went on the offensive and sent an invasion force to Iberia to take the silver mines and ruin their manpower reserves there. Meanwhile, other leaders are showing up in Rome. Publius Scipio leads the expedition into Iberia. He captures Carthage Nova, Carthage's capital city in Iberia. He wages a campaign in Iberia and takes it and evicts the Carthaginians by 206 BC. You see this timeline? I mean, like, you know, Publius Scipio, he goes to Spain, but it still takes him three or four years to take all of Spain. While, you know, there's all these separate lines. And if you saw a map of Italy in the time of Hannibal, he's got this city and this city, and you could draw a line, but he doesn't have this city, and he besieges one behind him and in front of him. And the Romans only have, you know, partial control of their areas. And, and you, you can draw little boxes for cities that still had Roman authority and w which ones don't. It's a mess, and it's this constant battle going back and forth for years on end. While the campaign rages in Italy, um, Publius Scipio finally takes over Iberia. He takes his army, and he actually invades Africa. He invades Carthaginia proper, and he starts to take away Carthage's allies and defeats two Carthaginian armies until Hannibal is recalled in 202 BC. He goes back to Carthage. Once Hannibal is there, he faces Scipio at the Battle of Zama. At Zama, Scipio has command of the Numidian cavalry, which defected from Hannibal, and the armies line up opposite each other, and the sinners just slug it out. Hannibal has elephants, and they start to push the Romans back until the Numidian cavalry surround them, and the Carthaginians collapse. In the end, the battle looked a bit like Cannae in reverse, but not as finite in its death toll. After the battle, the Carthaginians sue for a horrible peace. They lost every overseas possession and was limited to ten warships to fight off pirates. The indemnity imposed upon them was absurd. Scipio would go on to become Rome's, one of Rome's greatest leaders. Hannibal would not be executed for his actions in the war, He'd survive as a businessman and leader in Carthage until he was forced into exile in Greece, where he got involved in a revolt against Rome and ended up committing suicide to prevent capture in 182 BC. Though Carthage survived as a city, it was doomed. I, mean, I say doomed. Many in Rome believed Carthage 
should be eradicated from the earth. Cato the Elder feared Carthage rising up again. Even after the war, Cato would insist on the destruction of Carthage. He ended every speech in the Roman Senate, regardless of its purpose, tax reform or charity events or state directions. He would end every speech with Rome must be destroyed. And he would eventually get his way. With trumped-up reasons by 146 BC, after Rome had received all their indemnity, they invaded Carthage and slaughtered or starved out 200,000 civilians and enslaved the remaining 50,000 populace. Not even human sacrifice to Baal deep in the heart of Carthage would save them. Rome now takes possession of the Mediterranean, at least the center and western portion of it. And the scene is set for the Roman expansion to the rest of the Mediterranean. Expansion of Rome even into France and England. Its invasions of Greece, Syria, Egypt are coming. And we'll have the fall of the Roman Republic just prior to the birth of the Savior of the world. We conclude this episode with this startling realization that we now have one empire emerging into our time period. A dominant global power is becoming obvious. We will soon have a Roman world. And when Caesar asked for a census, according to estimates, there's around 450 million populating its vast and diverse empire by the time of the birth of Jesus. One empire, same government, the largest and most sophisticated government and populace the world has ever seen. A unity that will be essential to the growth of the gospel and the rapid distribution of it. A vast road network built on gradual military conquest, and they've been slow. And a vast trading ship network, once used for war, and now is being used for commerce to spread wealth and messages across continents. And I love how the Romans are basically at the center of the Mediterranean Empire now. They will go on to call the Mediterranean Mar Nostrum, R.C. And I love how the Mediterranean is the sea between the continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa. An empire to set to emerge three continents with languages, communication, and trade. A unity that the world has never seen. And our stage just continues to be set. Next episode, we head back to Israel, where the old Greek states of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies are warring over territory and Israel stuck in the middle, and how a bunch of Jewish rebels fight back. Yeah.